talk to you about the kisses of the Bible. I said last week you've probably never heard a message on this theme. You probably never thought about the kisses of the Bible, but the Bible has numerous occasions where it talks about kissing. And we read one this morning. Greet one another with a kiss of love, it says in the last verse of 1 Peter. There are many ways to express love. One of them is by a kiss. I remember when I was five years old, I used to have a, a friend in church who was an elderly gentleman. I don't remember his name. I just remember what he did. Every Sunday, he had me sit by him, and he had candy in his pocket. And it was a ritual. He always gave me some candy. I don't know if he didn't have children or grandchildren, but he just kind of took me in. And we had six kids in our family, and so it was nothing really novel for uh, us to be around children, but it seemed like he loved children, and at least he loved me, and his way of expressing that love to me was to have me sit by him in church and to always give me candy. I'm not sure my mother was so pleased with that because the dentist took care of some of the results of the candy, but at any rate, uh, it was an expression of love. Pastor Harold Duncan in Lodi was telling me the other day about Luke, my three-year-old grandson. He kind of gets off in a world all of his own. He said, I saw him, uh, he said, I saw him walking down the hallway the other day, and his head was down. He was just tromping along somewhere off in his mind in another world, and I just stood out there waiting for him. He was heading right for me with his head down. He didn't see me. So when he came up to, and saw my feet, he suddenly stopped, and he looked up and he said, Hi, Pastor Duncan, got any candy? It was the voice of confidence. <laughs> he knew Pastor Duncan loved him, and there was something in his office that he had found many times that expressed his love to Luke. Well, kisses are that way, and they're mentioned several times in the Bible. Kissing has always been a customary thing in the time of Peter in church and with the brotherhood. They express love by a holy kiss. In France and other countries, they still greet each other that way. There is an evangelist by the name of Costa Deer. Whenever you meet Costa Deer, be ready for the holy kiss. He's Jewish, and that is the way he has become accustomed to greeting people. It's a little strange to us because our custom has been a handshake. But in many parts of the world, it's otherwise. The Hawaiian custom is that of a lay of flowers and a kiss on the cheek. In the Bible, every kiss except that of Judas is crowned with beauty, sentiment, and spirituality. And there are seven of them that I will refer to this morning and tonight. So it's a two-part message, and... I hope you'll be in on both parts. I'll never forget my first kiss. I had eyed this individual for some time. She was so sweet, loving, and kind. The touch of her hand was just about like music. Her eyes drew me to her. 
and upon her lips I planted a kiss of love and appreciation. Mother has always been worthy of our kisses. <laughs> and I'm sure all of you could say much the same. I wonder where your minds were going during that little discourse. I said my first kiss. Let's see what spiritual lessons are in the Bible on this subject. I think you'll find it most interesting. First one that I would like to relate to you is in Genesis chapter 29. I call it the kiss of welcome. Verse 13 of Genesis 29 reads, And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Now let me refresh your minds with the story. Genesis 29. Jacob had run away from home. He had cheated his brother Esau of his birthright and of his blessing and was afraid of Esau, his twin. His mother told him to go to her old home in Haran. So Jacob did. He was the special son of his mother. So away he went, and there in Haran, by a well, he met Rachel, and he loved her from the very first. In fact, he planted a kiss upon Rachel, upon seeing her for the very first time, knowing that she was the daughter of his uncle. Now, Rachel ran home to tell her father, Laban. And when Laban heard that one of his kin was at the well and that he had watered the flock for Rachel, he ran to the well and that's where verse 13 comes in. He embraced Jacob, giving him a kiss of welcome. And he said to him, let this be your home. We are your kinspeople. Everything we have is yours. In that kiss of welcome was a statement and the statement was, what is ours is yours, and we will share it because we belong to the other. The spiritual lessons in this are tremendous. When a sinner comes home to Christ, Christ gives him a kiss of welcome. Luke 15, 7 reads, Joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. I don't know how you picture God, but he is not a God of folded arms and passivity. He cares. He yearns. He longs for the salvation of the sinner. The kiss of forgiveness is a wonderful thing, and that is what Jesus grants to us when we lay down our burden and take up his salvation. And what does he say to us? 
Everything that is mine is yours. A new relationship is established. Laban's kiss to Jacob was in recognition of their relationship. We become the sons of God according to the scriptures. This relationship is established when we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is our Father, Jesus is our elder brother, and John 1.12 says, As many as received him to them gave he the right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Think of it. We have the right to be the children of God, and in coming he kisses us with a kiss of welcome. One of the most astounding verses to me in all of the epistles is Romans 8, verse 17, where Paul says, We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I don't know that we've ever really fathomed that like we should. What it means is what this encounter with Laban meant to Jacob, a fugitive running for his life, scared to death. Nothing to call his own now except whatever he had on his back. But when he came to Laban's home, everything that Laban had, and it was much, became Jacob's by inheritance and family relationship. When you come to Jesus Christ, my friend, it's the same thing. You may not have a dime in the bank or a penny in your pocket, but if you have received Christ's kiss of welcome, you are rich. You have more than the wealthiest king on the earth who does not have Christ. If you have had the kiss of his welcome, it's like a rich man inviting a poor man to come and live in his home and saying to him, everything here is yours, just as though you were one of this household. It's like an adopted child receiving full rights of that family. The kiss of welcome is available to all of mankind. Have you received it? It's available to you today just as Jacob received that kiss of welcome on that day. When I was in Bible school, traveled for the school for a summer in quartet work, at the end of that summer there was one week before classes began, and I made my way from Tulsa, Oklahoma, to Monroe, Wisconsin, in a vehicle with the first tenor, whom I dropped off in Minnesota at his home. I had not seen this lovely Swiss girl for three months. I had written 99 letters to her since I last saw her on the campus of the Bible school. She went on her way home, and I went traveling 14,000 miles across country with services every night. I found time to write her a letter from every point along the way. And I could not wait to see her again. When I pulled into that driveway, 
She came running out the door before I ever had a chance to get to the doorbell. I wasn't embarrassed to take her into my arms. I don't know if the neighbors were watching. It didn't really matter. She gave me a kiss of welcome after all of those letters and all of those days. And I'll tell you, there's nothing like it when you know you are accepted, when you know you are loved, when you know you are cared for, when you know you are together again. My friends, there is nothing in this world like knowing that God loves you and God cares for you and Jesus Christ has provided everything that there is in God's economy for you. When you come to him, you feel that wonderful kiss of welcome. This is yours now. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. Oh, what a thing it is to have that kiss of welcome. You sense it today? No need to feel lonely. No need to feel cut off. No need to feel alienated. God has provided you a kiss of welcome into the family. and Everything that is in God's storehouse is yours. The second kiss is not too far away from the first one in terms of chapters. It's in chapter 45 of Genesis and in verse number 15, it reads, Moreover, Joseph kissed all his brethren and wept with them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. The story of Joseph is one of the greatest stories in history, in my opinion. Joseph was a dreamer, the favorite of his father, which made his brothers jealous of him. You will recall how they sold him into slavery. As he explained to the family that he had had a dream, and in the dream he saw the sheaves of his brothers bowing down to his sheaves in the field, and he actually saw the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down to him. You can imagine the natural reaction to a kid like that. And that's what he was, a kid of about 17. And here he's telling the whole family that they're going to bow down to him because he'd had a dream, and he believed the dream. Well, the sooner the better for those brothers to get rid of him. They didn't want any dreamer floating around their acreage. And so the moment of opportunity came. They saw Joseph coming, and they said, when he gets here, let us kill him. But one brother said, no, let us not do that. Let us put him into this pit, and we can sell him to the caravan groups that come through. We will not then have his blood upon our hands. So they agreed. And when Joseph came to greet his brothers, they threw him in the pit. However, they took his coat of many colors and rubbed it in blood and took it to the father, Jacob, and said, Joseph, 
We have found his coat, and he obviously has been devoured by animals. And his father grieved. In fact, he grieved for 20 years. But Joseph went into Egypt. 22 years actually went by. And now Joseph is up into his early 40s or right at 40, somewhere close by, sitting on the throne of Egypt with the whole world at his fingertips. And he's still dreaming. He dreamt of seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And so he went to the Pharaoh and said, we ought to gather up all of the grain that we can, fill the granaries, because after seven years of plenty, there will be seven years of famine. And Pharaoh said, you are a wise man. Do as you see fit. Seven years of plenty came, and then the famine hit. And it not only hit Egypt, it hit all of the surrounding nations, including Israel. And from Israel came the brothers of Joseph sent by Jacob, who first kept Benjamin the youngest behind, lest he lose all of his sons. And unknowingly they came into the land that was controlled by the brother they sold 22 years before. Now, no television writer or producer could do better than God did in this story. It is enthralling. And Joseph knew his brethren, the Bible says, but he did not make himself known to them at first. In fact, he sent them back with the same things in their bags that they brought. All of the money and all of the valuable things they found in their bags when they left, and they were afraid because they felt like it would be their life. Someone had paid a dirty trick, played a dirty trick on them. Well, they ran out of grain, and Jacob sent them back. We come to this 15th verse of the 45th chapter of Genesis when Joseph could hold it back no longer and the kiss of restored fellowship comes into being. He wept. In fact, he had to leave the room. The brothers thought it very unusual that they were seated around the table exactly by age, the eldest to the youngest. And they wondered how in the world could anyone have known exactly how to seat them, but Joseph had them seated exactly by age. He went out and wept and he washed his face so he would not appear as one having been in some kind of distress came into the room, and he said three words that must have just about taken the breath away from those brothers. He said, I am Joseph. <laughs> Can you imagine? 22 years had passed. He was no longer a ruddy kid having dreams. He was now the monarch of the entire realm, and he was their brother. 
Of course, fear struck their hearts immediately. I imagine the first thought could have been, he will kill us for what we did to him. But read it again. Joseph kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. Now let me apply it. Our fellowship with Jesus is sometimes broken. Some of you are here in church today feeling cut off, alienated. Something you've done, something you've said, you are thinking, God is so displeased with me. It is not uncommon. You are feeling unworthy. You are feeling unworthy to even come into his presence. But I want you to know one of the kisses of the Bible is the kiss of restored fellowship. It is pictured so beautifully in Psalm 51, verse 12, where David cried in his disappointment and in his sin, disappointed in himself because he had so failed the Lord. But he cried, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And he felt the kiss of God upon his cheek. He felt the embrace of the Almighty. And he was again useful and valuable to God and reigned over Israel for 40 years triumphantly and successfully because he had the kiss of restored fellowship. I don't know what it is that has caused your problem, your sense of being cut off and alienated, sin, neglecting your Christian duty or obligation, backsliding. I don't know what it is, but I have come from the prayer closet to tell you this morning, God wants you to know something. He has the kiss of restored fellowship for you this morning, and he has enough for all of you. He will not hold back any one of you. He will kiss you all if you all need to know that he cares about you in spite of the neglect, in spite of the failure, in spite of the backsliding. God is one who loves to bring back those that stray away and kiss them and love them like Joseph did his brethren who should have been put to death for their crime. But Joseph loved them, and he kissed them, and he embraced them. The lesson of forgiveness is here as well. Joseph had a right to hold a grudge. You may think you have a right to hold a grudge. But Joseph forgave from his heart. How do we know that? By the kiss by the embrace, he went from the oldest to the youngest. He met Benjamin for the first time. And he kissed every one of them, wept on every one of them, forgave them. There are some of you here today 
who at some point have buried the hatchet, but you left the handle sticking out of the ground. When you bury the hatchet, you must bury the whole thing, friend. And bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness is eating you alive. You haven't forgiven yet that companion that divorced you. You haven't forgiven that person who cheated you. You haven't buried the whole hatchet of that one that took advantage of you. It may be that you have been raped by some man and you are holding that grudge and that hurt. I don't know why that even was in my heart today except that I feel the Holy Spirit wanted me to say that to some woman in this congregation today. You're holding that bitterness and it's affecting your relationship with other men in your life. You've got to bury the hatchet, including the handle. It's not worth holding on to. You have to forgive like Joseph forgave, even when he had a right to carry a grudge against those brothers of his. Are you listening to me this morning? When something comes up between you and someone else, you need to go to them and say, I want to do the right thing. If I have hurt you in any way, I want you to forgive me. Let us be friends. That's what Jesus Christ would have you do. I am a Christian, and I'm going to do the right thing, no matter what the cost, no matter what the other party does, or how they respond you have cleansed your heart. You've gotten it off of your hands. Joseph gave a kiss of forgiveness to those brothers. And I know I'm zeroing in on somebody's heart and on somebody's need right now. The Spirit of God is weighing heavily on my words right now. You need to do exactly what Joseph did. You need to have the kiss of restored fellowship. Move to that place. And don't hold back. In 2 Samuel 20, verses 9 and 10, Joab took Amasa, his brother, by the beard with the right hand to kiss him but he had a sword in his other hand to kill him. And Amasa didn't see the dagger in Joab's left hand. And as he took a hold with his right hand, his beard, and kissed him with the left hand, he stuck a dagger through his heart and killed him. To me, that's a picture of a person who won't let go. While you're reaching out to kiss, there's a dagger that's still in your hand, and you want to push it in as far as you can and say, I'm going to get even. I'm going to get even. You deserve this, and I've been waiting for this opportunity. <sighs> when
Was Joab better for that? Not in this world. It cost him everything. And it will do the same to you if you do not understand the kiss of a Joseph who forgave, who embraced and said, I'm a Christian. I'll never hold it against you. Genesis 33, 4 pictures Esau who forgave Jacob after 20 years. This is the picture of Jesus. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And 20 years of separation was healed with a kiss. The restored kiss of fellowship. Life isn't long enough to carry all of that, friend. Lay it down in Jesus' name. Lay it down and make it right. Quickly, one more and then four tonight. The kiss of love. 1 Samuel 20, verse 41, And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times, and they kissed one another and wept, one with another. 1 Samuel 20, 41, The story is that of jealous Saul, who was out to kill David. Jonathan, Saul's son, was David's best friend. They loved one another. When Saul plotted to kill David, Jonathan ran to tell David of his danger. What happened is revealed in that 41st verse. David arose out of a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed himself three times before the king's son. And then they kissed one another and wept with one another. What is the spiritual lesson? It's found in Proverbs 18, verse 24. Jesus is a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. As David found a friend in adversity, so we can find a friend in Jesus in our adversity. The kiss of love. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? You better believe it. I'll answer it before you do. You better believe I have trials and temptations. Is there trouble anywhere? Oh, yeah, it's right here, Pastor. What do you do with it? You take it to the Lord who loves you and who told us that he'll never let anything come our way that we will not have the power to bear or the ability to stand up to. Praise God. And when David and Jonathan, these best friends, were facing adversity, the separation that was going to come for the rest of their lives because of Saul's hatred to David, they found in love and in kiss, in a kiss, a strength that would enable them to face the obstacle and move 
to productive living. Sometimes our disappointments are a result of God's love for us. Don't forget that. I have seen it so many times. Dr. J.M. Gray, when serving as president of Moody Bible Institute, became very ill and planned to go abroad for his health. A few days before his ship was scheduled to sail, he had an attack of sickness and missed the boat. He was greatly disappointed. Then he heard that the ship was sunk at sea. Dr. Gray then felt that God was showing him his love in this disappointment. I had an important engagement just recently. I was ready to get into my car and move toward that appointment when I was interrupted. And I could not avoid the interruption. The person was very demanding. And I was upset. Finally, got into my car to move to that appointment and right about the time I would have been where this accident occurred. Two cars came together and there were bodies, stretchers, and it was as though the Holy Spirit said to me, sometimes your delays are for your good, never forget it. It could have been me there in that intersection. The kiss of love I appreciate so much from my God. He's never going to let anything come my way that is not in his divine will as long as I remain in fellowship. In reading through the Easter story again just recently, John 13:1 stood out to me. I'd never really seen it in this light before. But it says, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. How can a thing like that escape you for years when you're reading the Bible? <laughs> having loved his own, he loved them to the end. After all, I knew he would never leave us nor forsake us, but somehow there it was. No matter what comes, God is in control and he will love us to the end. And again, I feel this unusual anointing on me this morning to say to some more of you, what you're going through is God's will. It's God's plan. It's his kiss of love on you. Because he sees better than you do. Quit fighting with him. Relax. and Let him be who he wants to be. My wife's always after me about kissing her more. I know some of you will ask her after this day, does he practice what he preaches? <laughs> Not like I should. We're too much like that Vermont farmer who was kind of a sullen, silent fellow, came to the golden wedding anniversary. Of course, he had to say something now. So he said to his wife, Sarah, I have loved you so much that sometimes I could hardly keep from telling you. <laughs> we need to improve on that, neighbor. 
A man working a crossword puzzle asks, what is a four-letter word for a strong emotional reaction to difficulty? One man responded, fear. Another said, love. True. Depends on your response. A four-letter word of reaction to difficulty. What would it be in your heart? Fear or love? This is out of control, or God is in control of what is happening here in my life. Both words fit the blanks on the puzzle, but only one is scriptural. That's love. Love. Do you have it? Do you feel God's kiss of care. The world is so busy, running here and there, fighting, struggling. They forget there's one who loves them and wants, and wants to plant a kiss upon them today. I don't know how we can live without it. Tonight we'll finish story. It's exciting. But right now the Holy Spirit wants to take his word and minister to need, heal the hurt, come with love. Let's stand together quietly, reverently, and not disturb the Spirit of God that's working in this room right now. The kiss of welcome, the kiss of restored fellowship, the kiss of love is as close as your breath if you'll just reach out and let it happen. Dear Jesus, we have felt your presence in this room in a strong way. We have felt that even during the preaching of the word, you have been applying truth very deeply into the spirits of the people. And now as we open this altar, dear Jesus, May there be people who flock to the place of embrace, the place of love, and their needs be met. With our heads bowed, I want to ask you who need to move to the place of embrace to do it, and that place is right up here at this altar this morning. With Jacob, it was to Laban's country. With Joseph, it was in that room where his brothers, who had treated him so wrongly, had gathered. With David, it was with Jonathan, his beloved friend, facing difficulty, yet embracing and kissing one another because they knew God was in control. You have that bitterness. You have that resentment. You have that need of feeling like I belong you have the need of forgiveness. You have sinned and you need to come to Jesus. Will you start toward me right now from wherever you are? Move out from where you're standing. Come to this altar. Let us have this moment of prayer together. We need to move toward that place where Jesus can minister to us. And I ask you to come without any further ado. Just begin to come. You need to lay it down. You need to feel that warmth and that embrace of a loving friend like Jesus. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Just come. Don't hold back.
You may be asking, do I have to come? Well, I want you to come because I believe that's where the victory will be. Just come, come. Maybe it's in that divorce that I mentioned. Maybe it's in that rape that I mentioned. Come. Jesus Christ cares. And there is that embrace and there is that kiss. There is that sense of presence that will carry you from this point on to victory, to restoration. God bless these that are coming. Just come on down, please. There is hundreds of caring people in this room that are going to pray for you. And your coming is like Jacob moving to Laban, Joseph moving to his brethren. It's a step on your part that will release the bonds and bring the healing. Please come. It's the climax of this 90-minute celebration this morning. Don't hold back. I plead with you to come. Don't hold back. It's your moment of victory. It's the moment God has designed for you to step into peace and blessing. If our workers will come, be with these who are on their knees. I would appreciate it. Pray with them. Help them. And let's all just be reaching out from our hearts to them now. You never know. You never know what's in the heart of a person who comes to an altar. It could be they came here as a last resort today, and after this it was, take my life. It's not worth living. I'm going to check out of it. But here they've met Jesus today. They've met a friend today. They've met one who cares. You may need to be here with them. I feel such a compassion and an empathy today. And I don't think everybody has come that needs to come. I could very quickly have you sing our benediction as we do week by week, but I just feel checked to do that. There's something else that needs to happen. Someone else needs to come, and if you don't, it could be your last chance. The devil is waiting to complete his work of destruction in your life. But Jesus Christ has appealed to you through his servant and his word. I plead with you, come, take that step, don't hold back. If you just put one foot in motion, the other will follow and you will be here in a moment. And Jesus will be here most importantly. Hallelujah. Thank God. There's healing going on in this room. There are rays of healing going out. God bless you, sister. You are one of them Jesus wanted to come. God bless you. Let him just break it all down. Let him just restore unto you the joy of your salvation. There's a man in this audience who hasn't laid it down yet, and it has to do with business. That's all God is sharing with me in this moment it has to do with some business thing. And you've gotten bitter and you've gotten hard. Jesus is saying to you, sir, lay it down. Lay it down. Lay it down. Let him kiss you today. Let him embrace you today. Lay it down.